Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and various Sage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are doing Gold Rats Rules of Flows. Ed, I can't believe I picked this topic. <laughs> I, I can't believe I picked this book and read it. Dude, like, you know, usually we do project management, you get a chance to sleep. sleep. I know it's, it's, uh, this was, but this book kind of blew my mind and I really enjoyed it. Uh, And I just, you know, I've heard you talk about project management so much, but only in pieces. Like I never did take your four day Mm -hmm. project man. And I said, well, Ed must have addressed multiple projects, which is what this is dealing with. Right. And it's also making a distinction between production. But just a just a show note, um, especially to uh, shout out to Andrew, who contacted me on LinkedIn with a subscription question. And I said, we're going to do a subscription update on the show 1117, which is next week. And we're not. We have a guest that came in kind of at the last minute next week. So, Andrew, we're going to move that show to December 1st, but we will address your question on December 1st. So, Ed, um, this book was written by Efret Goldrat Ashlag, which is who was the daughter, who is the daughter of Elihu Goldrat, whose, of course, seminal work is the goal. He passed away in 2011. Um, I was really curious about the name Efret. So I went, it, it means fruitful or honored. It's also gender neutral. So you will find male and female with this name. There's a lot of Hebrew names that are like that, actually. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so let's start out with some common themes that I, I really that really struck me from the book or the setup, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those books, I should just say, it's a short book. It's about 178 pages, and but it's written in the genre of a story, just like the goal was. Mm-hmm. Right. I could have done without all the fluff. I, it's just, I hate those types of books. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do the one minute manager fish. Remember for a time who moved my cheese, you know, who moved my iceberg. I mean, for a time that everybody did these types of books. I always found them. To yeah, be Patrick good. Lincioni is probably the most famous of this. He's written many, many, many. Well, I would say gold rats book. The gold is the most famous, but yeah. Yeah. I just, and they're just not my favorite type of book, but, but I just went in and pulled out the meat. So <laughs> he, here's what gold rat says. This is, this is gold rat. The common belief is that if every machine is fully, fully utilized, the entire operation will be efficient. Thus, managers attempt to maximize the efficiency of each and every machine and work center. That takes a lot of effort, but it doesn't yield the desired results. Managers should look at the whole operation, identify the bottlenecks, and focus only on their productivity. He called this global optimum versus local optimum. I love that term, by the, those terms, by the way. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um and 
he also made a distinction. He said, project management is inherently different than production. Projects are not as repetitive as production. Goldratt noticed that people working in projects make, make the same basic air. They manage the risk locally instead of looking at the entire picture. So he called this critical chain project management, CCPM, another acronym. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and uh, so anyway, that's kind of what, what this is. And uh, he also points out, and this made me think of your triangle of truth, meeting the due dates, staying on budget and delivering the full scope. We aim to get all three. If we want to meet one of these requirements, we end up compromising on one or two of the others. That's the reality of projects always has been. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. So, uh, and the last thing I'll say is improving flow is a primary objective of every operation, according to Goldratt. Yeah. Improving flow, not efficiency flow. That, it, that's the other thing that struck me about just the language in this book. I, I like the term flow rather than efficiency. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. And that, that struck me as well. I, I, and I, I, there's a couple of things that, that struck me just overall about the book. He does deal with the multi-project environment, which I think is important, especially if you're a um, CPA bookkeeper, but it didn't deal with as much with projects where on which you rely the for the, for the um, an outsider either the the customer specifically the customer or an outside third party he talks a little bit about outside third parties but he doesn't really talk about you know customer delays um, and even if you put some of the things together that he suggests the customer still can delay and you have no control over that right the the only the only thought the only thought on that where I think he and we should say she addresses it because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course it's his theory, but it's his theory, but it, yeah, she wrote this book um, in, in terms of the, uh, the RFP process, the bidding process mm-hmm. where the company says, Hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Customer, you, ha- you haven't got everything in this bid and mm-hmm. we're not going to, we're going to have a gate zero because we're not even going to bid on this until you, uh, you know, include the entire scope because we can see we're the experts. We see that you haven't included everything. Yes. And this is where he debated with his father. We can't do that. These people run their own businesses. They're our customer. We have to listen to them. And he's like, no, no, we can help them. Nope. You know? I've had, I've had that. I've had that debate with partner organizations on a regular yeah. basis. So absolutely. Yeah. It's like, because the, the, my, my have, I have always maintained that, you should do the the project plan. I mean, we're talking about now a waterfall project. We're not talking about subscription here. So I'm just kind of want to clarify that. I think that that's going to be different, but I do think that subscription can incorporate some of these things as well, but we'll, we'll perhaps get to that toward the end. What, what I, what I do want to say is I, I, I think that I have been advocating for years that, that people who do software implementation should sell the project plan upfront as a separate engagement and after that's done, then the customer can then decide whether or not they want to move forward. But the way that it's positioned, and this is mainly because of the way software companies go, is no, 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 you got to sell the whole thing as, as one big engagement. But it, it really makes no sense because to me, the project plan is the architectural drawing. That's the way that I, one of the analogies I would often use is you, you, need, to, you, need, you need to go to the architect and then you can decide whether or not you want to build a house. 
You don't decide to build a house and have the architect's plans that are already included and then go to the architect and say, all right, here's what the situation is. That's never going to work because that's where you get back into the triangle of truth. If And, I, and I've often said this, that if a customer says to you, we're spending this much and it's got to be done on this day, then you should be able to say, OK, that means we're going to give you this. <laughs> We get to decide what the scope is because you're solving for when is it going to be delivered and how much you're going to pay us. But this, so this argument goes on and on. People are like, well, no, no, no. The customer has to be in, has to be, uh, uh, make a decision determination up front. I said, it's impossible. They can't possibly do that, which then led me to your work, Ron, which is like, well, no, first, even before this, we have to have the value conversation because we have to know what the perceived value of this engagement is going to be. <laughs> and he even does talk a little bit, or she does, talks a little bit about that, about the understanding the value. Um, and now she's been, was talking about that mostly internally. She was talking about the software company that right. was doing updates to, I think it was bank software or something in the story. And that internal they internal people. That, right, right. And that they should evaluate whether or not this was doing anything for the customer. Um, and what, what and if so, then perhaps we should put prioritize those things. So, but yeah, you know, that that difference that uh, some some authors, this was a big topic in the 80s and 90s, drew between remember external, you have external customers and internal customers. Everybody's right. got a customer. No, that's not true. External customers are the only ones footing the bill. Internal customers could be asking for stuff because it's in the budget or they've got the resources committed to it. Doesn't mean it's valuable to the end user. Mm -hmm. This is one of the charges I have against Lean and Six Sigma. They'll they'll consider those things the same, and they're not. Mm -hmm. External customers are the ones footing the bill for everything, not internal customers. Yeah, I mean, unless you're doing transfer pricing within an organization, which nobody really does, but yeah, <laughs> which is all monopoly money anyway. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Um, so what I thought we'd kind of go through this and, you know, she, she does summarize the rules of flow. I believe there's eight of them, mm -hmm. um, but her summary is kind of out of order the way they're presented in the book. And I kind of like the way they're presented in the book first. Oh, okay. So I, All right. I thought we'd kind of go through each one and she gives obviously examples and things, but um, just wanted to get your take. And I know we've only got about three minutes for the break, but let's get into the first one, which is triage. First mm. off. You must have talked about triage all the time, all the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I can't believe there's, I can't believe there's much new in here. Was there anything new in here? There you? actually was, there actually was, okay. and which me. we'll, Don't all right, me. we'll get, we'll get okay. there. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I thought, I wonder how much of this he's seen and hasn't seen and blah, blah, blah. And the other question, just on your architect construction, uh, distinction, mm -hmm. cause I, I use that too. And I really like it. Have you ever run across a partner that is just the architect? It doesn't do any of the work, but just comes in as the guru that diagnoses the pro like a doctor house and says, this is what you need. This is the right fit for you charges for it and then walks away. Yeah, there, there are some, but, but, but for the most part, it was it, what they were often done is it was one firm who was getting the, the, the bid analysis, and then they would come in and do, do the, the, uh, the project plan and then say, oh, and we'll we'll farm the work out to two or three people, two or three bidders, but we will bid on it as well. So okay, kind of so like search consultants. A lot the of the bit, a lot of the big, the big four have done it that way for quite some time, and then they would often position themselves as, well, we already know your business, so therefore, right, right, okay, yeah. Okay. So so triage, triage to ensure you are working on the right priorities, and this kind of goes to the value question, right? Yes. She, she says triage according to value 
to customers. And and she does, like you said, do, do the internal customers, like for the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and But wasting resources is the first obstacle to flow and low value projects should be canceled. And, and I would think there'd be more of that internally than maybe externally, but there would be probably some externally too, that should be canceled. We shouldn't just be, we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing this. And that, that that's that's going to be a hard, hard sell about the best you're going to be able to do with an organization to say we're going to be able to postpone these or put these on hold. Uh, and, and she does kind of talk about that, because in, in, in the, the main character's story, Mark, he, he's really doing stuff for, for external customers. And she and and does have to now he doesn't cancel them, but he delays them. He postpones he the outside customer uh, engagements. And, you know, that's going to be a tough sell in the story. Of course, he gets through it and they talk to these customers and they're like, I guess they'll be okay with it. But, you know, there's probably a, probably some hard, hard conversations that people are going to have about that. <laughs> so, right. Right. And anything else about triage that maybe she didn't say that you do say, you know, I, I tr- was tr- constantly trying to search for something that really was triage. Because if you look, if you study triage, because I got went went down a rabbit hole on it for a while. It, they were the, in the medical profession. It's like four things. You know, it's heart rate, it's uh, blood pressure, t- uh, temperature. I think there's about well, breathing rate as well. And and then your triage based on two or three or four or five maximum characteristics, and then that's the priority priority list. And I always wanted an organization to develop that. Nobody ever did, <laughs> as far as I can tell tell for 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 a a, a for a for a customer in doing it implementations so well it might 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 be someday but we are up against our break ron so want to remind those of you to you can get a hold of ron or me by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com the website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows we like it to remind you that this first break is sponsored by box keeping Bookskeeping, I'm sorry, I'll get it right eventually, but Bookskeeping Franchise, check them out at bookskeepingfranchise.com. Uh, you can also rate this podcast anywhere by going to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor, bookskeepingfranchise.com, bookskeeping with an X. That's right, Ed. If you are interested in becoming part of the $4.2 billion bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee of just under $20,000, visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com. Bookskeeping comes with full training, plus marketing and technical support, and even staffing. Visit the website or call 855 935 
1-800-522-2669. Franchise opportunity not available in all states. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're dealing with gold rats rules of flows the book by effort uh gold rat ashlag the daughter of lu gold rat and Ed, we're talking about the rules of flow. We've discussed triage. Make sure you're working on the right priorities. Make sure it adds value to the customer. Some mm-hmm. projects should probably even be canceled. Um, the next one is avoid bad multitasking. Control your whip, your work and process. And what I really got it from this section was the problem with multita- multitasking is it's the biggest killer of time that exists in projects. So that would be my first question. Do you do you think that's true? And the major factor that impacts lead time is the number of projects we multitask between. So the more projects in the mix, the longer the lead time, which means we need to control our whip, the number of active projects we worked on. We should use a one-to-one ratio, one in, one out, or you mm-hmm. know, one out, one in. Um and that requires probably a one-time effort to freeze 70 to 80 percent of the projects which is what the protagonist does in the book but i think he got it to 50 percent or something but he froze a bunch mm-hmm. and that's really counterintuitive right because we assume the sooner we start working on something the greater the chance we'll get it done on time but if we start a project early the more projects we'll have in whip the more multitasking and we won't complete any on time and yeah. finish all the finish them all the same time, uh, and that's why this is another great insight that kind of blew my mind. We tend to finish them all at the same time when we go back and forth like that. They all yeah. finish at the same time, regardless. So, what? So, is this? Does this resonate with you? Is it true that yes, that, uh, multitasking is the biggest? Killer? The way I would describe it is this way: multitasking is uh, is not true. You don't multitask. You you deal with you deal with multiple projects in a serial fashion, and the, you you don't actually multitask. We're not capable of multitasking. We don't have four processors like uh, you know like computers do uh, now anyway. So you can't possibly do and do more than one thing at the same time. And he's absolutely right. The switching from one to the other is perhaps the biggest time suck. I mean, you probably experienced this, Ron. I want you to think about it when writing your yes. book, writing your books, right? You get if you, if, if you I wouldn't imagine that you did a lot of jumping around between chapters because you had to get a mindset around the topic that was at hand. And if you tried to go, well, let me bounce to this other one. There's OK. Now it takes me, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour to get it back into the mindset and remember and get everything loaded into my brain that I need to think about for this particular thing that I'm doing. 
that was definitely true. Writing the book, I turned off. I couldn't even go check email because then to get back into the flow, mm-hmm. the flow of the book, it, it killed it. But Ed, yeah. I was even thinking more back in my practice days. I would get tax returns in, and I'd start them right away, knowing that I'm going to have questions and I'm going to need more information from the customer. But I'd start everything thinking, <laughs> "Oh, well, if I start it early, you know, I'll get it." And it never worked. There was always that was the bottleneck. It was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had too much whip going on. I, and and I got to believe that it's very common. Yeah. I have met the enemy and they are us. It's absolutely. I, I mean, you know, Paul O'Brien used to say the bottlenecks are always at the top, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And that, and that, that, uh, comes, comes through in this book as, as well. They mentioned that there's a lot of times decisions that are made by, by leaders. And look, this is why decisions that are made by leaders are difficult because they have to take time to get, the necessary information loaded into their brain to make the decision. And that's why they become the bottleneck because if they're the ones constantly making the decisions over, over and over again, or they're the ones who only have the authority to make the decision, they're going to be the bottleneck because they can't just, Oh, okay. It's why. And we, we have very little patience sometimes. Why won't Fred just make a decision? Right. Well, because Fred's and, thinking about a lot of other things and for to for us for Fred to make a decision, it means that we have to get Fred's attention for a long enough period of time to him for him or her to make the decision. They, in fact, that's one of the 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 rules we'll come to later. They mm-hmm. talk about the, the the so-called experts that have to make the call on right. how to move forward when issues arise. But I, had, I would imagine those experts are not only in inside the firm, they're inside the customer's organization too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is which is why one of the keys there from a resource perspe- perspective is to delegate is to get authority delegated to you for as much as possible so that you so that you can avoid having to, to make to make the de- or take the decision all the way back up to the top person. They're going to happen. It's going to happen sometimes. Some things have to have the political ramifications of certain things is going to have to be made sometimes by somebody at the top of the organization. But where possible, you want that anything decisions delegated down as as low as possible in the in the system. Right. Right. Um, And then anything else you want to say about. Okay. Okay. The next the next rule is if you don't want to get stuck, verify full kit. Before you get going, full kit means that before we start a task or a project, we first verify we have everything we need to complete it. And they gave the example of painting a room, right? You want to make sure you have the paint and the the border paint and the tray and the the tape. And, you know, otherwise you're running to the store, right? Mm -hmm. To get something in the middle of the project and that's going to slow it down. Um, And and you want to make sure that if, if there's handovers within the project from team to team or person to person, that you have a gate at each handover to ensure before the second person takes it in, it's full kit. They've got everything (laughs) they need to do their piece of it. Right. And she says multiple gates take care of, um, take care of not 100% full kit at the start. So you can have multiple gates. I think that was one of your concerns. You said that that couldn't happen. You couldn't have full kit before you started the project. That would be impossible. No, I believe your world. In, in my world, I believe there should be what they refer to in the book as gate zero, which is do we have everything necessary from the customer at the before we get started on a, any particular thing? 
and 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 I think that 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 is always a challenge. I advocated for it. I advocated for you, you know you mu- you must put together the plan, get sign off on the plan, it le- or at least a set of objectives. I mean, at a minimum, just le- can we agree that these are the six objectives that we're we're looking at doing, and then we can you know break that into components. But you know, the the pushback has always been no. We need to get we need to get going. The faster we can get going, the faster we can get started. The faster we can complete it. <laughs> You know, and 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 I even advocated. I mean, I would there there were this was a a, a fairly typical pushback. That, you know, I would say, well, you need to make sure that you know you go and get the plan from the customer. And they said, well, the customer says to me, well, aren't you the expert? Don't you know how to do this already? Don't you are you you? And and I said, you're, and what's your response? He said, well, I guess I'm, he's right. I am the expert, so I guess I should just do it. I said, no, you are the expert. What you say say to them. Yes, I am the expert, and the expert is telling you you need a freaking plan. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I was when I when I had my car on order, I was poking around in the in the uh, trying to find information on the factory that builds it. And what I, I did learn something, and of course, this is Toyota production system. They don't they don't even start the car until they have everything. They have every part, the paint, everything's got to be in the factory before they'll even pro- you know, begin the process. Mm-hmm. So that would be an example of full kit. But I really like the, the painting the room example because it, it's so true. Anytime you start a project, right, you're always missing a part, a tool. I mean, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that the master brings to the table, right? They have everything. If they if they need it, they can easily access it. Um, right. And then the other thing that kind of I think goes in here although it may overlap with some of the other rules is this idea about dosage. Mm. It's the quantity of work We're, we attempt too many projects at the same time. And we end up paying too little attention to each project, less projects. It, it, if you have less projects, because each time a project is touched, more work gets done. If you have less projects in the pipeline, right? She referred to that as dosage. Right. So great. Yeah. So simple example, because the the way that I would talk about this is I can work on four projects at a time or three projects at a time. Right. So if I'm working on four projects at a time and I have this time slice to be able to do this, so say eight hours. So two hours, two hours, two hours. Okay. So. All right. So that's that's the way you're going to slice that up. But that means I have to I have to switch between projects three times during that particular day. Whereas if you go with the, the, the three, or you're only working on three projects at a time. Well, that changes the math. You're going to work on it for an extended, uh, for a longer period of time, say you know, a, a three or two and a, thir- a third hour. I'm again, cut, cutting up the eight hour day, but you're only going to have to switch twice. So not only are you now working on the three projects, but you've cut down the amount of time that you're recycling and getting the stuff into your head by 25%. So just going from just going from four projects to working on three projects, you get a twenty five percent benefit there, because you're taking out one of the switches, one of the multitasks that you have to do. Right, right. I I I don't know why this example popped into my head, but remember Mash when Charles Winchester came in, mm-hmm. right, the the surgeon, he, and he used to say he, he took forever to do a you know an operation, and mm-hmm. the, the other guys were bugging him about. It. He says, "I do one thing." I do it really well. And then I move on. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to believe with less multitasking, less projects that you're touching at any one time, you're doing a better quality job. There's less mistakes. I mean, this is kind of where quality kind of gets built in. Right. Right. 
Right. That, that, and that's because mistakes also do come from multitasking because you when you're trying to get your head around what it is you need to work on, you often for, forget something important that you and uh, that you should have remembered the last time. So anything yep. else on dosage or full kit that you want to mm-hmm. say? No, I, I think I think we're good. So we can wrap this segment up. Want to remind folks that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. Uh, want to remind you that we also have our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash TSOE. That Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. If you need a mind, find one at 90minds.com. Also, at a certain level on our Patreon channel, you can get a shout out. Get one like Blake Oliver did at Earmark CPE. Check his stuff out at EarmarkCPE.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Goldratt's Rules of Flow, written by his daughter, Efrit Goldratt. And, Ed, we, we've done all these rules so far. The next one is ensure synchronization between your tasks, people, and resources. And she defines synchronization as, as especially relevant when one of the tasks in the project is considerably larger or longer than any of the other tasks. In order to manage the flow effectively, we need to use that task, the big one, as our anchor and synchronize all the other tasks with it. Mm-hmm. What's your take yeah. on this? Yeah, this absolutely. is really relevant. 
Absolutely agree. I, I think this has become less of a, an issue since I was in practice. But the the the, the big ones there, were one one of two things. One was was data was called data load, which is how, how much data are we going to get take from the old system and get it loaded into the new system, and that was that was always a challenge. That was always a pretty big job because it was often you know multiple different loads or different ways that you could get it in. Some better than others, so you had to had to kind of work through that. And and a lot of a lot of times, if the data wasn't in the system the way that the end users expected it to be, they, they would outright reject using the system, right? Because they, they wanted to make sure that they could always, you know, look up history or whatever it is that they needed to do. They wanted to make sure that that stuff was still there. Um, so that and, or and, and or any customization, which is why I often would say to people, All right, I know we have this customization, but and it's got to be it's going to be bolted on at the end. But we need to work on it and test it and make sure that it's working up front. Mm hmm. So um, I, I got involved in a project as a subcontractor where they did the exact opposite. It was a disaster. It was a wine store, too, by the way. Really not not good. <laughs> not wow. good. Yeah. They waited till the last minute to do the the the, the front end, like take, taking money from the cash from the customer. <laughs> and, it was, and, it, and it didn't work. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, well, the next rule, and I don't have much to say about this one, but if you keep going back to the same projects and you don't get the desired results, look into the option to increase the dosage. We kind of already talked about this, but what was your take on this? Right. And that was the example I just gave earlier. Like if you can increase the amount of time that you're spending on a particular project, that's you're, you're far better off. We would, we would, tr we would try to break it down to where we, you were, it was down to two a day. We didn't want our, our folks working on any more than two projects a day, once in the morning, one once in the afternoon. Now that wasn't always possible, um, especially given the nature of, of some of the stuff that we were doing, but that, that was, that was our target for that to to get it down so that, that you could have a solid four hour block of time to engage yourself and be be thinking about stuff so mm. okay and the next one is avoid unnecessary rework by finding what causes it and this is toyota's you know five whys but it's also the after action review which she, she doesn't talk about in here but anything to say about rework unnecessary rework yeah, the, the the mantra that we we had in my organization was you 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 always fix a problem twice, once for the time that it happens, and then you, what are you what are you going to do to ensure that the problem this problem doesn't happen again in the future, and that was a really hard discipline for a lot of people to get get into. But what I found is that over time that was probably one of the biggest things that really made our organization as strong as it was because that's what we did we didn't we didn't just fix it initially we said all right now we fix this what caused this let's make sure that this doesn't happen again in any future engagements so right okay the next one is standardization is recommended when improvising is costly and they do talk about Sometimes the true value of the project is actually in the non-standard work in that distinctive thinking and solutions that we tailor to it. You know, this would be the area of knowledge worker judgment mm -hmm. right? and wisdom brought to the task, but standardize the stuff that you can. Paul Dunn used to talk about this in terms of 80, 20, standardize the 80% of the stuff, but, you know, humanize the 20%, the, the, the big impact, the touch points with the customer that lead to a better experience and all that. But what do you have to say about standardization versus improvising? Yeah, I mean, we, we used to call this like templating. Uh, for example, what we would do is put together a template for like a small, medium and a large engagement, especially around the area of testing. Uh, one of the things that that 
is most often not done, believe it or not, is proper testing of, of the system before they go, they fully go into production. And it's mostly because the customer backs down and, say, and says, well, I don't have time to test. I said, well, do you have time to fix it when it's not working? Well, no. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and this is another place that a lot of organizations for, for the longest time would just allow the customer to step over them, say, well, we're not going to test the system. Oh, okay. I guess we're just going to go live. And then they, when there were problems, they would have they would come back and have to fix all of them and 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 again you're doing this now in a production environment versus in something that's a test and it was a disaster so and and people would often complain to me i said well are you telling them that if you don't test it's going to end up taking you twice as long to do this right and well no well see that's what you got to do you got to put your foot down and say and if you if you test we're going to we're going to automatically charge you more <laughs> Right, right. right. So we, 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 when we got to the point where we're doing value pricing, one of the things that we would do is, especially on like at the time, it's, this doesn't really happen all that much anymore with with uh, cloud based software, but upgrades. And um, a partner at Ninety Minds actually that we we uh, talk about, Wayne Schultz was the one who who pioneered this for me, which I thought was great. He would he would give the customer his three choices for an upgrade, and there was the and the, the most expensive one was always the no test one. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right, right. I remember this. So, yes. so it's like, it's $2,500. If we do this and you get a test, it's $5,000. If we do this within a shorter period of time, and then it's $10,000. If you want to do this without testing it, we just kind of wing it and go. And he goes, well, might that work out for you? And it's short. Well, it might, but no, <laughs> it's up to you. So, well, so it's $10,000. If you want to do this and just wing it. Yeah. Well, I don't think we should wing it. Right. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, that's yeah. correct. I, I remember that. That's excellent. Um, the next rule, and I believe it's the last one, is, um, is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Abolish local optimum. Global optimum is what matters. So this idea that you know we're used to thinking that if we find a way to be more efficient anywhere in our system, we should go for it. But it doesn't work that way you know, these local efforts are not only useless, they are harmful. Our resources as managers are spread thin as it is. And when we spend them monitoring useless processes, we do it at the expense of investing where it matters. And she points out that management attention is the number one constraint in most organizations. We better use it where it counts. And this is just classic systems thinking, right? I mean, what we talked with uh, Willie mm -hmm. about in, in our show with him, but um, talk to me about the local optimum versus the global optimum. Well, and and, and this is interesting because this this manifests itself at, in two levels for the organizations that I work with. One within each project, you were, were working about that from a, from a localization standpoint. Sometimes truly local, like multiple stores or locations, but sometimes it was just local in terms of like what you were working on. Like today we were working on the, 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 the sales order processing system and tomorrow we're working on the purchase order system, which integrate at some point. And you're just thinking, okay, well, we just optimize around the process of each of those. And what, what rarely the customers will look at is no, they're actually more integrated than you think, especially when you were doing things like direct drop ships. Remember the, 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 the con mm -hmm. before Amazon, there was this thing called the drop ship where, you know, yes, we sold that, but you were really buying it from someone else and we we're buying it from someone else, but having a drop ship from the manufacturer directly to the customer, right? So the whole, whole middleman thing. So that was often something where we, we would have to say, no, what we got to look at this is we got to look at this across this entirety of this project. But then, 
because we were also operating in a multi-project environment for different customers. So this is now similar to the book. We had to worry about local optimum and global optimum when we were talking about the projects that we were trying to get through our right. company. Right. So you can't just look, you can't just locally optimize each individual customers. You have to t look at it from more, a more global perspective. Right. And, and that's, that's where things like scheduling come in. I, one of the things that I'm, I was really big on, uh, and, and you see this when we talked about, did, did our show a uh, way back on the issues list mm -hmm. is that the issues list you, you, that managers and leaders shouldn't be in, in, and I believe this is true, especially of knowledge work, shouldn't be scheduling what people work on when, I mean, unless it's a, you're in this really big engagement and all right, for the next three weeks, you're going to work on this, but even then you shouldn't be telling them, and you need to work on this today and this tomorrow and this the next day, you should give them a due date and you should give them an estimated effort, right? This is where people get, Oh, isn't that a timesheet? No, because it's timesheets in advance, yep. right? <laughs> an estimated effort and a due date and let the individual decide when they are going to specifically, they're going to complete that task. Uh, and I don't care when they did it as long as it was done on or before the estimated completion date. Right. And then they can, they can ma ma manage their own schedule based on stuff like that. And that's a great example of allowing each individual to look for a global optimization. I, I wasn't going to attain it, get um, uh, global optimization if I was the one saying, you do this today, you do this today, you do this today. It was never going to happen. Right. You got to leave that up to each knowledge worker. Yep. So yep. she talks about risk and uncertainty, which she says, you know, is pretty much the name of the game in, in, in yeah. this world. And she says, when one of your site managers asks his crew how long it's going to take them to complete a certain task, do they give him or her an estimate that reflects the time it will take them to perform the task if everything goes smoothly, right? And and Or will they give them a much higher estimate, an estimate they believe they can meet even if something goes wrong? Mm -hmm. And she says to add a buffer of at least one-third of the estimated, pro estimated project time is a rule of thumb at about a third. And place it, place that one third buffer at the end of the project of the whole project, meaning don't accept everybody's individual buffer time, aggregate it into one and put it at the end of the project to catch any contingencies or problems that come up. Um, and this, this is, she says, this is a big cultural change. Everybody's going to have to give up their own little fudge mm -hmm. factor, right? And, and for the good of the whole. And, and Ed, timesheets impede this. Let's just say it. that You couldn't do this in the timesheet culture, but it's enough to protect everyone, but not enough to promote Parkinson's law, which, of course, work expands to fill the time, right? Mm -hmm. And and then somebody asked the professor in the book, if there's so much safety, then how come we don't see many projects finish ahead of time? And the professor said, that's because you're doing a very good job wasting it wasting time, which is, he talked about Parkinson's law and the student syndrome. You know, you start the homework the night before it's due, even though you knew about it a month before. Yes. When, having a 17 uh, year old son and a 14 year old daughter who are in high school, I am well, well aware of that. And, <laughs> well, and, and then one more thing on the wasting time. And I thought this was really interesting. Say you have a project that's got a 10 day deadline and you start the task on the eighth and the ninth, but then of course you find something's wrong. Well, you're not going to finish on time. It wastes the safety. You should start it on the first, second, or third day. So there's got to be buffers built in. But I thought that was a really good point that you put a third time, a third of the time in the, for a buffer, but put it at the end of the project and make everybody sacrifice for it. 
Yeah, that was that was actually one of the the big takeaways for me from the book. I had not ever thought about that and not and did not do that. And that would be something that I absolutely would incorporate today. Um, but I, wa- I actually want to talk more about that. So let's go to our break and, and we'll come back and talk about that. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. As previously mentioned, you can rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE, but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and today on the soul of enterprise we are talking about dr efrat golrat ashtag's book on gold rats rules of flow and she's referencing her father who with whom that she worked very closely in fact they wrote a book together called the choice uh have not read that but it's been put on my reading list because of uh, because of this but ron we were talking about uh, buffer management and the one-third rule of thumb uh and that was a a concept that was new to me so and i really like this now curiously i had i have opined previously on uh, something that i that i thought of when 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 i was when i was uh reading this that this is similar to something I learned from Reed Holden, which was are in discount buckets. In other words, don't 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 have an individual a discount for each of your your salespeople or people, whatever. Have a bucket that they have access to over the course of a year or a quarter or whatever it is, and then they only get scooped out when needed. And then once they're through the bucket, they're through the bucket. That's, that's it. it. That's it. Right. And the same thing is here as he's talking about this in the, in these, the, these work packages is, is that, okay, if something goes wrong and you need more from the, from the, from the, the buffer, fine, but you got to let me know. And 
the the only way that I did that to some degree is again in the issues list show we would talk about the the, the if you had to change the due date like on or before uh, this particular date and if you wanted to change that because you had to preserve the original and then uh, you were allowed to to change it. And but there had to be a conversation about it. But I never thought about then dishing out this additional buffer piece of it, because that's exactly what I thought I would have done. And then you could even measure, in a sense, the percentage of times that people come to you to ask for stuff out of the buffer. Mm. Uh, mm. Right. And again, that's not a time time thing. That's a percentage time of, of time that they're coming to you. And if somebody's coming to you, the same person over and over again, well, then maybe you have an education issue. Maybe this person needs to get get, get a, learn a little bit more about something before they get put on a project like this again. So sure. I thought that was a really good insight that this this whole knowledge. But t- take this further, because then he goes even one step further where he where he talks about the fever chart. But wait, you know what? Before we get there, though, he he does say in, the, in one of the characters it, it, when it, he the character is responding to what I just said, this whole notion of and g- give it out when you need him. You have to you have to be. You have to tr- be trustworthy with it. If, if people come to you and ask, hey, listen, I need this buffer time, you have to be willing to give it to them. Because if you don't, you're you're, you're just you're just going to end up with them putting in more reserve time in and safety time in later anyway. Right. 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 I thought that was a really important point that you can't be stingy with the buffer. <laughs> right. So, so, so much of this is a cultural change. We're back to the whole cultural change because this is the system, right? Mm-hmm. We're affecting the, the the system and your culture emerges from your system. So he talks about the fever chart and this is tough to do on radio, Ed, but I'll, I'm going to give it a shot. The vertical axis is the percent of buffer consumed. So we have one third of the time, roughly, that's the rule of thumb that we've added to the estimated mm-hmm. effort for the buffer. On the horizontal axis, there's percent of project completed. Now, I guess you could do this by going through your issues list. And that's correct. Off, right. So that's perfect. So as long as you complete a larger percent of the project relative to the percent of the buffer you consume, you're in the green zone. And everything's fine in this, mm-hmm. in this graph. There's three zones, green, yellow, and red. When you start to consume a larger percent of the buffer than the percent completed of the project, you get into the yellow. And if you happen to get into the red, then it's really it's time to put the contingency plans into place. And she says you monitor the consumption of the buffers by getting daily remaining duration updates and that's all you have to look at is estimated effort going forward on the unclicked off issues. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And that, and I and I sort of did this in a way. I didn't have this this fever chart in there, but it, it, it was. I did. There are two numbers in the issues list: percent of percentage of completion and the percentage of of those tasks that were completed on or before the original estimated completion date, which right. I always said was the, the the percent likelihood that you come in on time. Right. So I was close to this, but not exactly. And I didn't have the concept of withholding the, the safety time from the list. It was it was built in. It was already right. built in. A, yeah. So yeah. Those hour those est- estimates of hours were inclusive of the safety. Because she says watching the buffers is the only mechanism to ensure you are on track to finish on time. And, you know, the protagonist in the books talks about getting weekly status reports and they'd have a meeting and everybody would, this is what's <laughs> left. And they'd go through yeah. it. Say, oh my God, what a time suck all this sounded like. Mm-hmm. When all I need to know is what's the estimated effort. This is why it's so important to project time into the future. 
and right. not look backwards and fetishize about the the, the variance between actual and projected. It, mm-hmm. It's useless for yep. any of this. Yep. It's like crying over spilt milk. No, Last no, Ron, you have to say your most, one of the most famous lines. Oh, timing your cookies with your smoke alarm. There you uh, go. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, she says no point in having long lists of issues waiting in line for the managers and experts to, to resolve the number of projects that they can effectively handle handle is the number of projects we should have in our whip. This kind of goes back to your point about the expert. Right. And it, and I mean, if that's the constraint, then you've got to adjust your whip accordingly. Mm-hmm. And to increase the capacity of your system, you have to focus on the constraints. First, identify these few people who are in fact your system's constraint. Um, and then there was this Little's law, Ed, the throughput times lead time equals whip. And and I looked at that and said, oh, my God, <clears throat> this is queuing theory. Did mm-hmm. you have to do queuing theory in finance? I never took finance class, Rob. Ron. My God, <laughs> queuing theory was mind-numbing. You want something more boring to me than project management? <laughs> it was queuing theory. Queuing theory. I mean, <clears throat> the, I mean, literally, like people in line at the bank. Mm, or, mm. The, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole discipline around this oh it's yeah important. yeah yeah. i've seen some videos some videos it's important yeah yeah it's very important i'm not discounting it but i'm just saying it bored the crap <laughs> and i remember seeing oh my god little's law that's where this is from so but anyway i this book blew my mind because this makes sense to me this mm-hmm. idea of flow I, I mean i know other people call it throughput and i think mm-hmm. even Goldratt calls it throughput in some places but i think we should replace efficiency with flow forever well yeah we we should should talk about it in terms of flow i i I agree because flow is the better term even for what we when when we mean efficiency but you know the the people are stuck on the flow on the efficiency ron and now flow's kind of been changed over to the you know that moment when you're in the zone you know in the zone yeah you know the whole flow book but um, But that is actually related i mean a related concept because you when you're you you have to get into that space to for flow to occur and that's what he's talking about where hey you can can only be working on a couple things at once and you can't really multitask so yeah, no, I really love this book. Thank you for pointing this out and and, and having us go through this because it. I, I read the goal a long, long time ago, Me too. Me um, too. and I would I would often refer to the theory of constraints, but it has really fallen out of my brain, to be honest yeah. with you. And, yeah, and, too. So, um, it, I, I I I must remember I have forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what did the, what's that line? Deja vu, but the opposite, bougie or whatever. Um, right. Right. Uh, yeah. This 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 was really interesting, and I just I just love it. it. Reminds me of talking with our late colleague Reginald Lee, mm. who said, you know, what, he says it's all about how you arrange the work. It's all about how you arrange the work. That's why you got to stay close to the floor and see what's going on in the factory or in the you know in people's heads if you're a knowledge firm, and and cost accounting distracts from that. It puts your mm-hmm. attention on the results of that flow, but you can't change you can't change that flow by looking and tinkering with the accounting numbers. Right. You got to go out and look. You know, you got to be obvious atoms. So anyway, I just thought that was excellent. So Ed, next week we have Steve Gorham. He's the author of Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. I just finished this book. We got him. We were able to secure him pretty tight deadline, but uh, he will be on next week. And that's what we'll be doing. 
All right. Outstanding. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes where you can find the Gold Rat book and uh, other information on each show coming up. And also, if you need to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.